0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. This one is a hard one. Uh, this one is a hard one. It, uh, this text is going to call us to what we should be, which is all good. Uh, but here's the deal. It's also going to remind us that we're not all that we are called to be. And, and uh, approaching a text like this, there might be some of us who, who read this and our tendency is to think kind of like, woe is me, I stink at everything, wah, wah, I can't do this. And there's kind of sadness. Uh, others might lead you to say, you know what? If I can't do it, throw up my hands, who cares? That kind of apathy. Uh, others of you might read a text like this and think, you know what? I can do this. Like, tomorrow's the day, right? Whatever tendency that we come to this with, I, I, out of these tendencies, I just want to bring this out. I think each one of those tendencies miss the heart of the gospel. And my hope in our time as we approach this text is to kind of chart a new path this morning uh, where we can engage this and respond to this text in a way that, that draws our focus to Jesus. And so to do that, what I'd love to do is just read our text and then, and then pray before we, get, before we get started. So we're going to be in verse 9, and we're going to go all the way through verse 13. It says this, Let love be genuine. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning and we pray this often, but, but this morning, as we come to a text like this, this, this prayer seems all the more fitting and all the more urgent. We pray this morning that as we read your word, that your word would read us. This morning, we pray that as we come together to, to uh, around your word, that, that you would search us, that you would grow us, that you would change us. Most importantly this morning, most urgently this morning, we pray that you, in this time, in your word, that you would open our eyes to the gospel more and more and more and more. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 So let me just get us caught up with a bit of context with where we are this morning. Um, If we look, Paul has just called us out to be holy. Set apart for him to not be conformed to this world as, as we saw in, in Romans 12, but to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And Paul calls us to worship him with our, with our bodies, by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Um, then we looked at last week, how from that now we are called together, gifted together for each other. That that God has called us into the church and gifted us as the church together. That, That we were reminded last week that you need them and they need you. We were reminded that spiritual gifts are not given to you to sit and enjoy and to brag about and to think how awesome is this and to enjoy them in your own personal private life. But scripture paints this picture of the gifts being given to you for for. If you look around this room, for them, for them for, to be used for the edification, the encouragement of the, as, of the church as a whole. And now from this call, what Paul's going to do, what we just read, is he is going to list out for us a list of propositions, commands, one by one, command after command. Um, and depending on how you break this up, I count at least 13. At least 13 of these, of these guys. And these are not easy. They're not light commands. I want to go through them quickly here. So as we look at our text, the first command we see is let love be genuine. So that's enough right there to kind of go stop us in our track because that's a big statement. Let love be genuine. That means not showy, not for show, not hypocritical, but not putting on a front or trying real hard but genuine authentic love i mean that is awesome not love for our own gain just selfless genuine love let love be genuine that's awesome second abhor what is abhor what is evil abhor i kind of think of this as a gag reflex like that, that when, you, when you're around it, it just turns your stomach. Like that's kind of what abhorring, abhor what is evil, that we would hate it, it. And especially the evil that we see in our own lives pulling for our own hearts and our own attention. That that just, oh, it's a gag reflex. Abhor what is evil. And then from that, we hold fast to what is good. We cling to it and we never stop clinging to it. We hold that like a bug that is drawn to a light. That's how we are to what is good. We cling to what is good. And then from this, we love one another with brotherly affection. Uh, Now, if you have a brother that you fight with all the time, that's not what this verse is talking about. All right, What this is talking about is the love that would give itself for each other, a sacrificial love. A love that is shown even when that person doesn't deserve it. Like the crazy thing about being a brother is you don't stop being a brother when you're a bonehead, right? It's, it's brotherly love. It's giving love. It's, it's even when they frustrate you. That's the love of a brother, and that is your call. That's our call. So we got four down. How are we doing? <laughs> All right, Next. We outdo one another in showing honor. Um, out of all of these, this might be the hardest. We are not great with this whole honor thing. We, we're just not, this isn't our, our, our strength. We struggle with the idea of honoring, honoring each other. And, and here Paul says, outdo each other, compete with each other. With how much you can honor each other compete with each other not slander or putting them down to make yourself look great but to honor them that we would outdo each other in that that is so countercultural we'll move on do not be slothful in zeal another way that you can say this don't be lazy don't be lazy you know who you are lazy where where we are slothful or lacking in urgency for the things of God, this should not be the way we are as his people. Instead, be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit. This is, this is an excitement and enthusiasm for the things of God. That we would be this, that, that we're not like, by the way, I'm not talking about that fake rah-rah, happy, everything's good, everything's awesome. That's not what I'm talking about when I say excitement for the things of God. What I'm talking about is, is kind of that, that moment, here's a good example of it, when someone first comes to faith in Jesus, and all of a sudden there is just this joy and like this passion and this enthusiasm for the things of God. That's what I'm talking about. It's that kind of fervency, that kind of enthusiasm for the things of God. Let's not be lazy, but let's have that fervency for the things of God. And next, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Um, this is a call to pursue an end that is greater than us, greater than ourselves. That we would use our things, our gifts, our abilities, our, for something bigger than us. Serve the Lord makes me think how much of our things and our time and our schedule and our energy is given and poured out for for someone else other than ourselves. Serve the Lord. Paul calls us to give ourselves in his service and his mission. All right, we're eight down now. I'll ask again, how are we doing? Hmm. All right, next. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Um, Hope is beautiful, by the way. It's beautiful. Hope is a looking ahead to something that's not yet, but clinging on to it. It's a looking forward, placing our, our eyes forward in hope. What I love about this and why it's so beautiful is because no matter what we face, no matter what we're going through, hope is never taken away in Christ. We look forward. We look ahead. We look forward in hope. We rejoice. It's not only we have hope, we rejoice in that hope. That's a Christian hope that we we have in Christ. And that, I would argue, leads to our our next one, which is this whole patience thing in tribulation. Patience in tribulation. Um, I believe that being able to be patient in tribulation flows right out of hope we have hope, we be patient in tribulation. Um, I've heard that there are two things that you never pray for as a Christian, humility and patience, right? But yet, this is our call. This is who we are called to be, patience in hope, patience in tribulation, patience in, in, in Christ. Next, be constant in prayer, prayer without ceasing, be constant in it. Our call is to be a praying people. I've heard it said, and I love this quote, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. That's so good. That it's so good. Our call is to that, to be constant in prayer. Too often, I've seen it so much easier for us to be constant in other things like stress and anxiety and worry, than it is for us to be known as and marked as a people who are constant in prayer, constant in coming before the Lord in in prayer. Here, Paul is directing us, commanding us as the church to be a people of prayer. Next, contribute to the needs of the saints um, that we give ourselves for others. Here's the deal. Community is really easy, really great when it only benefits you. When it's nothing but a value add to you. You know what's hard though? is when being in community starts to cost something. When we have to, for the sake of others, give up something, give something, that's when it gets harder. And Paul calls us here to a costly kind of community that we would give ourselves for the needs of others. This This marked, this kind of contribution to the needs of the saints marked the early church in the the book of Acts. Just marked it. And and here's the deal. It's meant to mark us still. It's meant to be a defining feature of the church still. And then lastly, seek to show hospitality. This is the easy one, right? Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. Absolutely wrong. See, sometimes I think we think of hospitality as just the occasional baking of cookies for someone and bringing it to them. And I gotta tell you, the picture that scripture paints of hospitality is so much bigger than that. I love cookies, but the heart of it, hospitality is open-handed sacrificial living. We would open-handedly live sacrificially with others, that, that the church is to be a people who live open-handedly, who our homes are open. This one's going to hurt even more than homes. Our schedules are open. That this would define us. That this would mark us. That I'm convinced, church, that this is a dying art in the church. This little one-liner here. It's a dying art in the church. I'm convinced. Because as our homes grow and we have the space, our schedules shrink and we don't have the space. And all of a sudden, We can live our lives just caught in this busyness and and forget to seek to show hospitality. But Paul says here, this can't be true for the the people of God. We need to excel in this. All right. It's easy, right? Just went through all 13. How are we doing? Yeah. I'm sure as we went through this, you're able to score yourself a little bit and say, well, I'm kind of stinky at that one. I, I struggle with that one. Or I did good at that one time. Or sometimes I'm, you're scoring, and, and maybe, maybe you look at here, and you, see, and you just wonder, like, here's the question. What on earth do we do with this? What do we do with this? I want to ask, what does a preacher do with this? Because I can clearly see a sermon going one of two ways right now. I could go this way, and this can be a be better, ch- be better church sermon, where stop it, or start it, uh, um, try harder, pick yourself up, be better, grunt a little bit, let's do this, we've got this, be better, Raw rah, we can go that road, or I can see us trying to veer off in the other direction, and this being a sermon that is basically amounts to a woe is us sermon oh, we stink, <laughs> we're horrible, we don't do any of this, we're not perfect, and, and how bad, how bad we are. My question is, though, what do we do with this? What do we do with 13 commands that hit us right between the eyes? What do we, what should we do? I, I want to put before you that a different kind of approach to this text this morning. Um, and my hope is, I said this at the beginning, but my hope is is that as we go through this text, that our eyes get lifted up to Jesus this morning. That we look to Jesus. That we follow Jesus. That we know we are in Him. Um, I know we've already just we just got through going through each line of this text. Right? We're going to do it again. This time, though, I'm going to do my best to kind of pick our heads up, metaphorically. to to see and to behold Jesus as we go through this text. Um, I got a warning. I am about to fly. I'm about to move very quickly. I'm about to jump all around this morning. And if you're fast with your Bibles, I invite you to follow me. But don't worry about it. Take a breath. Here's my hope for you. As I go through this and as I fly, uh, I want to invite you to sit back and take this in And allow your your gaze to go up to Jesus. Allow your gaze to be taken, taken up. So having said that, can we go through this one more time? Let love be genuine. Church, can we look to Jesus this morning? Let love be genuine. In 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is... Is from God, and whoever loves um, has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Not or for in this the love of God was what made manifest among us that God sent His only Son to the world, so that we might live through Him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved. Us And send his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I want to remind you of something, church. Genuine love is not fake. It's not putting on a mask. It's not a kind of a hypocritical show. It's real and authentic. And I've got to ask, what kind of love do we see in this text? I I at least want to pull out two things. The first is I want to pull out verse 8 that says this. Our God is love. It's not something he tries real hard to do. It's something our God is. Is that not the definition of genuine love? Let your love be genuine. Look to Jesus. This is genuine love on a whole new level. The second thing here is I want to direct our attention to verse 9. It says, the love of God was made manifest. That means it's made visible through Jesus. A hypocritical love tries to work something up to show you something that's not there. But what we see in this text is the genuine love of God being made visible through Jesus, the work in person of Jesus. That genuine love, there is not anything more genuine than that. Let love be genuine church, let's look to Jesus' genuine love in the flesh. We look to Jesus. Second, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Church, can we look to Jesus this morning? When we look to Jesus? Uh, scripture says in 1 Peter 1-2, you've been called um, for this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. We're going to get back to that so that you might follow in his footsteps. Hone in here. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He committed no sin, no evil, no sin. John 15 builds on this. It says, just as I have kept, Jesus says, all of my father's commandments. 2 Corinthians 5:21 says for our sake he made him to be sin who what who knew no sin knew no sin church Jesus knew no sin he committed no sin ever we look to Jesus he kept all of his father's commands we look to Jesus Jesus only and ever stood for what is good he condemned what is evil I can't help but remember, I didn't put it up here, but that scene when Jesus walked into the temple and just started flipping over tables uh, in, in Matthew 21, that was Jesus responding to what was evil, like a gag reflex of, horror. what is evil? Look to Jesus. I think of all the times when Jesus called out the Pharisees. I could have put them up here, but they're literally everywhere. What was he doing? Calling out, abhorring what is evil. We look to Jesus who did not stand for what was evil. There is no better example of clinging to what is good and gagging over what is evil than Jesus. We look to Jesus. Next, let's continue looking to Jesus as we read Love one another with brotherly affection. Let's look up. Let's look up. Because one of the most powerful verses, I think, is John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than this. Love demonstrated with his life. This is love. Love. This is love. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And guess what? By that, by that, they're gonna know that you're mine. Because the love you have for one another. This love, brotherly affection of one another is going to be the defining mark of the church. They're going to know that we belong to Jesus because we need to look like Jesus in our brotherly love. Let me say it again. No greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. I got to tell you, friends, Jesus laid down his life for you. Laid down his life for you. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Next. Let's talk about outdoing one another and showing honor. Let's look to Jesus. One of the, my favorite verses in all of Scripture is, is Philippians 2. And, and Paul starts here by just talking about don't do anything for selfish ambition and humility. Count others as more significant as yourselves. He says, Let each of you not only look out for yourself, but to others. And then Paul says this in verse 5. Have this mind among you, which is yours, by the way, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient. To the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, what does it mean to outdo one another in showing honor? Can we just look up? Can we look to Jesus? This is what that looks like. It, 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 it's Jesus being God putting on flesh, dwelling among us, humbling himself to bring salvation to us, to bring glory and honor to the Father. That is glory. That is honor. That is humility. What does it look like to outdo one another in showing honor? It's Jesus. I got another example. I'm not even gonna put this one up here, but um, how about in John 13, when Jesus The Son of God is washing the nasty feet of his disciples. That's honor. That is outdoing one another in showing honor. Church, we look to Jesus. Don't be lazy don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Church, again, we look to Jesus because all throughout the gospels, you know what we don't see? We don't see a savior, kind of a begrudging savior of, oh, these people again. Only I had to do this. I just don't want to be here. We don't see that, do we? We don't see that. We see a savior in Jesus who is committed to the mission of God. Of the Father. More than that, we see. I'm going to call this joyous, joyous mission. We see it in Hebrews twelve two, who, who reads for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? It was the mission that was set before him. It was the the cross that was set before him. That is fervency. For the joy that was set before him, we, we, we look to Jesus. Next, Paul, he says, serve the Lord. And church, we got to look to Jesus on this one. I'm going to have said look to Jesus 7,000 times this morning. That's intentional, okay? Look to Jesus. I look at, I could have picked so many texts here. But let's start with John six thirty eight. Jesus said, I don't do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus said that. I came, it's not about my will, it's not about what I desire right now in this moment for myself, but I, Jesus says, am about the Father's will, and I came to do his will. We see this again and again and again. We see it in John 8. It says, I do nothing, Jesus says, on my own authority. It says, But Jesus says, I speak just as the Father taught me. The next verse, he says, "And, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Serve the Lord. What does that look like? We look to Jesus. I always do. The things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is the only person, by the way, who could ever say that and not be a liar. For I always do. The things that are pleasing to him. I got to show you one more. Because this submitted life to God, uh, to the Father, just shows up even to the moment of death. In Luke 22, we have this prayer, Father. This prayer in the pain and agony of the cross that was... He says, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Church, what does it look like to serve the Lord? We look to Jesus, who gave himself, who gave it all. We look to Jesus next. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in Hope. We look to Jesus in John sixteen thirty one. He's consoling his disciples. Um, Do you now uh, believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it is come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and and will leave me alone. In other words, things aren't great. They're not going to be great. That hour is coming. But but but. Yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. That's hope. That's hope. And then he passes this hope on. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's coming. That's true. But take heart. You see that hope? I, Jesus says, have overcome the world. This is hope in trial. This is hope in the midst of tribulation. This is hope. Jesus says, listen, I'm not alone. The Father is with me. So take heart, because I win. There's hope in all things. We look to Jesus not only for our hope, but we look to Jesus as our example of what hope is. We look to Jesus. And from, directly from that, we go into patience. I'm about to show you a verse that blows my mind. I, I think I take it for granted. Um, in First Peter, we, we got to look to Jesus here. Look at First Peter. This comes from chapter 2, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't didn't even threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I couldn't stop there. i got to finish. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. In Jesus, church, in Jesus, we see him stand accused, yet he did not lash out. We see him beaten. He did not strike back. He could have stopped everything. He could have stopped it. He could have called down fire and smote or smite. I gotta get that word right in that context. Just smite them all. He could have done that. He could have done that. He could have stopped it all. But what did he do? He instead chose to endure with patience. The heaviest moment of history on his shoulders. And he endures with patience bearing it all standing firm. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. We have to look to Jesus. Next, be constant in prayer. I'm about to give you the understatement of the morning. You ready? Jesus prayed constantly. <laughs> I'm about to show you just how much of an understatement that is, all right? But if you if you look through the gospels, it's like Jesus showed us this idea of prayer that you never have to hang up the phone. It's just constant. It's ongoing prayer, ongoing. It's like he understood. It's not just moments in a prayer gathering or in a meal or in a service before I go to sleep or as I wake up. It's not just in those moments. It's ongoing all the time, nonstop. We see him retreating all the time. I pulled out a few Luke 5. Luke 5. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the Son of God, Jesus, withdrawing from ministry to pray. Same in Mark 1. And while it was still dark, right, he departed and he went to a desolate place and there he prayed. Okay, I'm about to do something here. You, <laughs> Okay, I, I went through and I searched just the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I just searched the Gospels for all the times Jesus prayed. Now, I didn't do this alone. I had a great Bible software that helped me do this. Um, I I had some books and uh, other resources that I I, I didn't do this alone. And this probably isn't even exhaustive. So so I don't think this is exhaustive, but come on. Can we look at this? Can you read that? No, no. Um, You don't need to. Uh, I I have this for you, I can send it to you. But here's the deal. Jesus prayed constantly. Jesus was always praying. He was always praying. The writer of Hebrews, sorry, I'm flipping it. So if you're writing this, there's no chance for you. Um, Writer of Hebrews says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus prayed constantly. How and why? is because Jesus showed us how to live in constant communion and connection with God, with the Father. We look to Jesus. Finally, finally, you've made it with me to the very end, and I'm proud of you for that. Finally, we get to this. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This was without question my favorite part of study this week. Jesus in Hospitality. First of all, let me remind you, Jesus was homeless. Okay, take that one in. He says, you know, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He says that in, uh, in Matthew 8, 20, right? Homeless. Yet, this homeless rabbi lived sacrificially, selflessly open-handed in his life. I want you to look at this quote with me. Um, Jesus didn't just seek or keep company with those who could help him, faultlessly love him. and wouldn't cause any drama in his life. But he kept company with the flawed, poor, and those who were prone to mood swings. (laughs) She's talking about Peter here, by the way. (laughs) This went beyond the disciples. The woman at the well was the wrong sex and the wrong race. The tax collector had a despised position, and the thief on the cross was a convicted criminal, and Jesus still invited them all through himself to his father's home. Open-handed, caring for the needs of others. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This is a side note, can't help but put it in here. OK, If you think about the first miracle that we have recorded for us in the Gospels, you know what it is? It's a little miracle done in a wedding, where, where Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding. Jesus, who did not have a home, chose his first miracle to provide incredible wine for friends to enjoy at a good party. I don't say this lightly. Jesus' first miracle was a miracle of hospitality. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. A miracle of hospitality to his friends. We have a, a, another quote I want to show you. Ashley Hales um, describes this, this beautifully. Like a king and host, he prepares a table in the wilderness. Like a priest, he offers the pure, unspotted lamb on behalf of the people of God for forgiveness of sin. And restitution with God. Like a host, he rains down provision in the desert, nearness when we are lonely, welcome when we do not deserve it. But he is also the offering, the food the host offers to undeserving guests. Church, praise God for the hospitality of Jesus. Not just back then at a, Canaan, uh, the wedding in Cana. But today, one more verse. I want to direct our attention not only to his hospitality then, but I'm going to call his heavenly hospitality. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have I would have told you, or uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place. For you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Hospitality, caring for the needs of, of others. We see it all over in Jesus's life, but here we see, not only there, but we are reminded that he's not done. He's preparing a place for you still today. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Now, you made it through all 13 commands in these verses, and I have made this argument that what are we going to do? We, we, we're going to look to Jesus, and, and I want to finish with this today. I believe we need to look to Jesus for two things as we look at this verse, for for two, for two important things. First, we look to Jesus for our justification. We look to Jesus for our justification. Here's what I mean by that. As you read this one by one by one by one, all 13 of them come and go, you are reminded, no, you cannot do it. But one by one, by one by one, as we have seen together this morning, one by one, we are also reminded that Jesus did. Perfectly and completely, Jesus did. Now, the gospel, justification, what what does it mean? It means that when the Father looks at you, when the Father looks at you, do you know what he sees? When the Father looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus that was given, imputed to you. When the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus did it. That's what it means in 2 Corinthians. I've already shown this. It said, for for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what it means. Churches, we look to Jesus as our perfection. We look to Jesus for our righteousness. We we have read all throughout Romans, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness of Christ was given to us, and in this, we sang it already, Jesus did it all. He accomplished it all he fulfilled every one of those 13 commands and more he did it all perfectly and completely so sure we might read this and start off woe is me I can't do this we might start there we can't finish there though this is we look to Jesus our, our our head goes up and we are reminded that he did it and it is finished we look to Jesus for our perfection and our justification this morning as we look at a text like this Knowing, I will say this one more time, that when the Father looks at you in Christ, he sees the perfection of Christ. We look to Jesus for our justification. Secondly, we look to Jesus as our example. Jesus has shown us the way to live this out. And he's called us to be a community, a church, who is committed to living this out together, to following the example of Jesus together. I reference this verse. I want to I bring this one out again, though. Um, Jesus, or Peter here says, Jesus suffered for, for you, leaving you an example. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. We look to Jesus to follow in his footsteps. I've heard it said that a good leader never calls or asks anything of of their followers that the leader himself is not willing to do. In this way, Jesus came, lived his life, and called us each and every day to die to ourselves to follow Jesus to follow in his footsteps, to follow his example. We look to Christ this morning as our justification, our righteousness, and our example. I want to say one more thing before we pray. As we look to Jesus for our example, we do not live our lives trying to earn righteousness. I want us to remember But the gospel tells us that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus from a place of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. We have been made and declared righteous by by the righteousness of Jesus, and now you're gonna guess what I'm gonna say. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus.